I'm not going to buy just to buy a deal. I mean, I buy to make money and I'm putting, you know, a lot of my money to play in these deals. I invest with my investors. So, um, yeah, I'm very patient. I mean, and I, I want to find the right deal, not just any deal. Hey there. Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Today, our guest is Larry Abramowitz. Larry is going to teach us about how he increased his return from his real estate portfolio while decreasing the amount of time that he spends on managing his real estate portfolio. I'm not going to tell you about his history right now. He's going to tell you about all that during the interview. Larry's got a great story. There's a lot that we can learn from him, both in the real estate world and in the general business world. He's had a lot of success. He has a lot of education around business in addition to his actual business experience. A lot of great lessons in this one today. Without further ado, here we go. Here's Larry. Thanks for having me. Happy to be talking with you. For our listeners, can you give us a background where you came from and what you're doing now, uh, both in the in the business world and in the real estate world? Yeah, I'll try to summarize, but yeah, I grew up in Costa Rica. Um, went to move to the United States in, in the 90s uh, to study ma uh, manufacturing engineering in Boston University. Graduated, went to work for General Electric uh, in aircraft engines and appliances. After that, I went for an MBA at uh, Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, I Right before that, I, I had married uh, my wife and she's Colombian. So after I graduated from my MBA, we moved to Colombia and I was uh, working there running a, a recycled paper uh, factory. We're making the paper to do corrugated boxes. So I did that for, um, you know, about three years in Colombia. And then we decided to leave Colombia around 2000. Um, you know, the economy there was pretty bad. There was some time there were security issues going on in Colombia. I mean, it wasn't, a, now it's a completely different country, but it was a different time. So we decided to move to Miami and I started a flower importing and distributing business. Um, which I still have, and um, we sell to wholesalers and supermarkets across the USA and Canada. And um, around 2014, I decided to, I mean, I've always been involved in real estate, but I decided to be more involved in real estate and started uh, buying um, actively foreclosures. And I started in Miami where I live. I, right now I live in Miami, Florida. And I started buying around my neighborhood some houses and foreclosures. There were still some pretty good opportunities in in 2014. Um, you know, there was a lot of still uh, meat left in the bone on these uh, deals. So I was buying out of the auction at the court. It's all, now it's online, but I mean, I was buying online uh, houses that I found on the auction and um, just bought them and and you know started fixing them, flipping them. I kept some for rental. Um, you know, I bought some commercial properties, retail, warehouse, office, so I've done a little bit of everything in, uh, in that sense, apartments, houses. So, yeah, I've uh, I acquired and sold a bunch of assets that way. I mean, so uh, then that market dried up. So, I mean, that that's what hmm. that's what happened uh, around 2016. I mean, it was very hard to find any deals like that anymore. I mean, it was. I mean, all the foreclosures were already kind of bought out, or they were selling at higher prices, so they were they were not underwater anymore. So that that market kind of um, ended. Yeah, and then 
a year ago, as we're recording this, you closed on your first deal as a multifamily syndication sponsor. Can you tell us the high-level details of that property? Yeah, I um I decided to move to syndication um, 2018 because I I was uh, renting, I was managing, self-managing all my properties and houses and apartments, and I kind of got sick of dealing with the with day to day of the of of dealing with the tenants and you know unplugging toilets and floods and you know everything that goes on with a property which is normal. So I decided to go into something bigger so I can third party manage and I have to be involved on the day to day of managing the property. Um, so I started looking at 100 plus unit deals um, in Central Florida, and I was able to find this deal in Daytona actually through. A property manager that I that was managing the deal, and you know he brought me the deal and 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 I, you know he already had it under contract actually. Wow. So he said if if he had it under LOI, but he basically offered me the deal and said that if I wanted the deal, um, I mean the, the price was already negotiated and I could go for it. I mean it was uh, so I he actually offered me two properties, one in Largo, Florida, and one in um, Daytona Beach. And I had like a couple of days to make a decision. So I got in my car, went to Largo. So I won the properties, then drove to Daytona and saw the other property and then drove back. I mean, I think I drove, I can't even remember. It was over, you know, 10, 15 hours driving. I mean, just looking <laughs> at the, across the, the state. But um, I decided to go with the Daytona property. I just liked it better. I mean, it was a very attractive property with a lake in the middle, garden style. Um, and they had a lot of meat left on the bone as far as a value add deal um, where you can remodel the units and get a big bump on the rents. So as far as uh, meeting this property manager and him presenting this deal to you, did you build that relationship over time? Did he present that deal the first day you called him? I mean, what did that process look like? I was looking at deals before that. And on one of the deals that I was underwriting in, it was in Gainesville, I called, I was, I was interviewing property managers and I called them and we started talking and it ended up that they were managing some properties from uh, other people in the flower business that I also knew. So that kind of created some type of relationship. And uh, they told me that sometimes they get deals on their contract and they, they work with investors like me. And if, if, um, that when they got a deal, they will let me know. And that about, I don't know if it was two weeks or a month later, they called me with these two options or these two deals. And I, I mean, I, I basically took, took one of them. I wanted to do both, uh, but it was uh, probably too much to do at the same time. So I decided to go just with one. Hmm. That's smart to, <laughs> to not overextend yourself. Now, um, and you mentioned you're, you made the shift from, single families to multifamily where you can bring in an outside property manager. Can you tell us about the time commitment, the relative time commitment between your single families and then now this multifamily 108 unit property? Yeah, what I found with the single family, even the stuff I bought very inexpensive in Miami, which I mean, Miami tends to be a pretty high price market. I was more in the you know, middle high-end homes. I mean, even if you buy them right, um, with the insurance and the property taxes, 
they eat up all your profit. I mean, so you're basically, yeah, you're paying off your mortgage every month, so that's that's part of your returns. But as far as cash flowing, um, you barely break even or lose money in these properties. I mean, so you're holding for appreciation, which, um, in my opinion, it's a gamble. I mean, because you never know if it's really going to appreciate or not. Over time, you know, it should long term, but you know, if you're buying and selling, you never know, you know, what when is that going to happen. But I end up spending a lot of time managing each each uh, house or apartment. I mean, I get phone calls from a tenant, you know, a couple of times a week usually if it's not the AC. I mean, like, and I'll give an example. I still have one of the houses I haven't been able to sell, and I got a call this week from the tenant. You know, the AC wasn't working. Then they got the the plumbing got all uh, backed up in the house, so I had to get the plumber. I have to get the AC guy. Then they had an issue with the shower. I mean, so you keep on adding, and that, I mean, probably spent two, three, four hours this week on that house, and it doesn't give me any cash flow. And wow. My 108 unit property, I'd have a phone call once a week for maybe an hour. Uh, might call another half an hour to property another day just to see how things are going. And then I visit maybe, you know, once a month or every two months, I go there and spend two days. Uh, but that's my involvement, and I'm actually making you know positive cash flow on the deal, and I'm also earning uh, for managing the property and asset management fees. So, I mean, I, I think it's a, for me it's a no-brainer to switch to multifamily. I mean, it's just uh, from my experience. The business case, the, the business itself works a lot better or a lot more smoothly for the person running the deal and in, in multifamily. So that makes a lot of sense. But uh, how about for the investors? I mean, you syndicated a deal, so you brought in investors. Are they friends that you've known along the way that you got to know at uh, Wharton all those years ago and you're still friends today? Or what did that look like? And is that the first time that you raised capital for any deals or were you self-funded completely before what did that all look like yeah before i was self-funded except maybe a couple of my last two deals before that where i i i got a friend to put some of the money and it was basically an operating agreement we're partners on the deal and you know i was managing the deal but they just invested and really there were no fees or anything like that it was more like i needed money to close and just brought somebody into the deal and they, you know, it, it worked out well, but um, I started talking to people before, you know, when I decided to start syndicating, I talked to some investors and friends about what I was doing. And then, uh, you know, when I had the deal on the contract, I really went um, full force and tried to raise the money. I mean, that was really, um, and it was mostly friends and family. Yeah, so yeah, it's, uh, but it, it was um, it was the hardest part of the syndication, really raising the funds, especially when it's your your first deal. Even though I have a lot of experience in real estate and in running businesses, I, I mean, at the end of the day, it, it, the investors are trusting you with their money, and and, and I think it becomes a, uh, it's all about trust. I mean, they, and, and liking the deal. I mean, it was it was a combination, but you know, they know me and they trust me, so. Um, they they felt comfortable giving me the money, and that's what it's all about. You got to earn their their trust. Mm. And that's it's hard to do, you know, to to get to earn someone's trust, especially when one doesn't have a track record. Now, how much did you end up raising from investors for that deal? How many dollars? It was a four and a half million dollar raise. Wow, that's just the raise. And then what was the price of the property? Because I'm assuming you used leverage. Yeah, we leverage. Uh, it was eleven point seven million dollars. 
the purchase price. Yeah, we raised four and a half, and we had to put in capex about another seven hundred thousand dollars that we budgeted for capex for the value add. So I'm doing doing some quick math here. Is it four and a half million dollars versus an eleven point seven million dollar purchase price? Did I get that right? Yes. So that was a thirty eight percent raise. Is there any particular reason? You know, you're going to have closing costs and things like that. Did you? Is there any particular reason you didn't? leverage a little bit more heavily or, or what was your decision um, and your, your calculus related to the debt that you took on that deal? Well, one, it's more conservative. Um, and two, also the deal was uh, was um, constrained. I mean, uh, the debt service coverage ratio was limited. I mean, the, for an agency loan, there wouldn't be a 1.25 debt coverage ratio. And there was, the bank couldn't lend more. I mean, that's pretty much, that was a limit. Good to know. So very much driven by the numbers. And you mentioned you've had, you, you have years of real estate investing experience, and we were talking before we hit record, that you've actually been investing in real estate for much longer than before 2014 when you started buying foreclosures. You've been in real estate for many years before that. Can you tell us about some of your international real estate investing experience and how that's you know, differed from investing in the U.S. and in multifamily? Yeah, it's, um, I've had an experience in Colombia, Costa Rica, and Spain investing and um, started in, well, Costa Rica I grew up, so my family had some real estate and I ended up managing um, those properties and, you know, probably in the last, uh, I would say, 20 years, I've been managing uh, a lot of those rental properties, commercial and residential. And in Colombia, I invested in 95 in a development deal. We're going to develop, with, we partner up like five people to develop warehouses. Um, by that time, Colombia was booming. So, th you know, that just tells you how things change very quickly. But from uh, 95 to 96, the economy took a, a big turn and it just, everything just died. I mean, it was uh, it suddenly no demand at all for anything. And we got stuck with a lot. Wow. We use it to park. Uh, we actually got lucky because we use it to as parking space for uh, for parking trailers there. So at least we cover our expenses. Uh, we had the lot empty for about four years, just sitting there. And a developer came up with an idea to do um, to do housing, low-income housing, and he was able to to turn around the deal. Um, and still give us a very good return. And after that, um, you know, we rolled the money into two of his deals and he did very well. By the third time, he didn't want our money anymore. He, he had enough, but <laughs> he was doing great. So, um, uh, but that worked out well, but you know, that was just one of the experience I had in, in Colombia. I mean, and one of the things, you know, that, that you learn by doing in other, real estate in other countries is that we, you know, we're privileged in the U.S. with the amount of information we have in our computers. I mean, you just sit up on the internet and you can find out the comps, you know, what's sold in the area. You can go into the appraiser and get the taxes. I mean, you can do everything from your computer or except seeing the property and seeing the market in person. I mean, so, um, you know, in Latin America, you don't have that or in other countries there, there isn't a lot of, uh, you know, you don't have CoStar, you don't have Zillow, um, Apartments.com. I mean, all these uh, things that we use right now to to really quickly analyze a deal. We didn't, you know, there's nothing like that available. So um, that makes it a lot more challenging to know if a deal makes sense or not. I mean, you really have to, 
you know, be local, be on the ground and really know the market to, to understand it and invest on it. Yeah, that's, that's really, to me, the main difference is uh, the information availability. Hmm. Information availability. That's a good point. It definitely is something that we take for granted. Have you noticed, as far as operating uh, properties, operating the deals, any other stark differences between doing deals outside the U.S. generally? And granted, those are the countries you've done deals in outside the U.S. Other than being Spanish-speaking, they're all very different places. I'm sure none yeah. of these things are, are across the board, but operational differences? The main thing I've seen is how they protect the, the tenants. The tenant protection laws in some of these countries are absurd. I mean, people cannot pay, they don't pay the rent and they, you can't kick them out. I mean, it's, um, I had a situation in, in Costa Rica where we had a, a tenant that took us five years to, without getting a penny in rent to get him out of the property. Wow. And appeals and, and attorneys and after spending, you know, I'm talking in the hundred thousand plus dollars in attorney fees. I mean, in five years in court, we finally were able to kick him out. I mean, and it's, it's the kind of things you deal with. I mean, and it's very hard to, to manage properties in that type of um, environment. I mean, and, um, and I was telling you before, and, uh, you know, invested with a friend that lives in Barcelona. We bought, you know, he found a building in foreclosure, an apartment building, and we bought it. And the plan was to get rid of all the tenants and then sell it to, uh, there's these developers that like to take these old apartments and fix them up and, and then either sell them in like a condo conversion type of deal. And the same thing, you can't kick up, you can't kick out the tenants. And one of, you have to pay them off for them to leave. And in one of the buildings, the last tenant, we, um, we ended up having to buy him a new apartment in another building for them to move out of this one. But that's what it takes to, to empty out the building because a building empty was worth 50% more than with one tenant. So it was worth to kick him out. So, I mean, that's the kind of things that you, you'll see in, uh, in, in some of these countries as far as tenant protection laws. Wow. That is incredible. You had to, you had to buy them another unit somewhere else. Yeah. Just so you you could get the the tenants out of that deal. That is wild. So in your hunt for multifamily properties, what did you? What are some other things you learned along the way looking for that property as compared to when you were buying foreclosures? I mean, when you're buying a foreclosure, there are only a handful of places that have foreclosures. Whereas when you're looking for multifamily properties. There are brokers all over the place. There's tons of brokers. You know, how do you build relationships with them? I know you got your deal through a property manager, but I'm sure you're looking for more. What have you learned along the way in terms of building that deal flow up and getting those opportunities to make offers on? Well, one is to to try to focus on areas. I mean, right now I'm, I'm pretty focused on Central Florida, um, but with you know, there's usually three, four brokers that kind of move the market. So you end up talking to them almost weekly about deals or every two weeks. Um, so you start building a relationship just by the consistent conversations on the deal flow and, you know, and, and talking to them about the deals that you're, you know, they're sending you and, you know, going with them to see the deals. So you just build relationships, you know, the more you talk to them. Um, and eventually you hope to get some deals that are not listed yet. Um, and you know, hopefully, be able to get better deals because what I've been finding out lately that everything that's listed, you can't buy. 
I mean, there's always somebody willing to pay a lot more. I mean, when they put these these things up for bid, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, the first round, second round, some are third round. I mean, so it just gets, um, it's too competitive. I mean, it's a great mm -hmm. seller's market right now. Lots of best and final offer type of situations. Are you seeing, as these prices get kicked higher and higher, I mean, how do you think those folks are justifying those prices? Are Are they... Added underwriting. I don't know what. Uh, what, what? Where's the missing puzzle piece here that they're you know, able to offer so much, and the rest of us are like, how are you paying these prices? It's scary. I mean, and I I was talking to a broker about this yesterday, and they said they're seeing uh, more than ever a lot of new buyers that they haven't seen you know in the market before. So it's uh, either people that are not from this area, they don't, they don't know the area and they're buying and paying crazy prices or, or they're seeing that there's still room to grow in the future and they don't care making a smaller return right now. Um, you know, rates drop, so there's, you know, there's, um, that doesn't help as far as you know, us looking to buy deals I mean, because now people are being more aggressive because they can pay more with lower rates so that, um, that also hasn't affected, but what I heard is that the, the typical big buyers are not buying out there. I mean, the guys that have been doing this for a while are sitting on the sidelines. So, I mean, you, you start uh, um, hearing this and it's, a, you know, it's a, kind of a scary environment to be buying on. I mean, I, I haven't bought anything in a year. Probably I analyze, you know, I would say six deals a week. Wow. Maybe send a couple of LOIs a month because I, I don't send an LOI unless there's, it makes sense. And I haven't been able to get anything. I mean, every time I'm in best and final, there's somebody willing to pay 20, 30% more than what I'm willing to pay. So it's, um, that's how competitive it is right now. And I just, um, I mean, I'm not gonna buy just to buy a deal. I mean, I buy to make money and I'm putting, you know, a lot of my money to play in these deals. I invest with my investors. So um, yeah, I'm very patient. I mean, and I, I wanna find the right deal, not just any deal. Yeah, <laughs> I like the sound of that. I want to find the right deal, not just any deal, and I'm not going to buy just to buy. So uh, we are going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Larry, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Go ahead. First one, what is the best investment that you ever made in real estate? I bought a... Retail, it was a restaurant uh, in foreclosure. It was an um, empty restaurant in uh, the Rile area in, uh, near Miami. And I retenanted it and sold it for um, four times what I bought it for two years later. Wow. Wow. That is a nice deal. That yeah, was a nice home run. Nice foreclosure. On the other side of that, though, what is the worst investment that you ever made in real estate? I also bought a house in foreclosure in Miami, very cheap. It was a $70,000, what seemed cheap, a $70,000 house. And we did the inspections and everything that you're allowed to do before you buy it. And um, once we started the work, we found out that the entire structure of the house was eaten. It was a wood structure and everything was eaten out by termites. You could actually stick your finger through the wood and um, we had to pretty much cut out the entire house, redo all the wood structure. I mean, it was a, it was a, instead of being a six month turnaround, it was a two year project. And actually I'm supposed to close this week after over two years, um, 
of uh, working with the city and permits and all that. But I mean, luckily by Friday we'll be closed. I mean, it's been a, and that's the kind of stuff that, you know, drains me and it's been taking me two years to finish this deal. And it, it, it's probably taking a huge chunk of my time without, without really getting any returns. I mean, at the end we're going to make money, but it's not going to be uh, after two years. It's not a, <laughs> it was not a great investment. I mean, as far as time-wise. Yeah, the dollars per hour are not yeah. going to work out on that deal. Now, what did you end up, how did you end up fixing that? Did you, I mean, was it a complete teardown or how do you even approach fixing that? Yeah, you tear all the walls and you start, um, you, you, you put these beams to hold the house together and then you start taking out all the old stuff and putting in all the new structure and drywall and electrical and plumbing and all the stuff we were not going to do. We had to pretty much do the entire house brand new. So, um, yeah, you get to the point where it's almost easier to build a new house. Wow. Yeah. That is incredible. Now, before we move on from the best worst deal, I want to go back to the best one. I assume that was a, uh, a triple net property, right? You have a put a triple net tenant in there. Yes. Okay. Okay. Cool. So we've addressed triple net on the show before. So if anybody wants to know what triple net commercial is, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes so you can learn about that. But uh, triple net investments are definitely very appealing from a, a passive standpoint. And it's even more appealing when you can forex uh, your money. That's a, a great benefit there, like you had. So Larry, my favorite question here I, that I ask at the end of the show, what is the most important lesson that you've learned in investing? I mean, I think that networking, I mean, I think I've, I've said this before in other podcasts, but I just think, you know, networking with brokers, property managers, owners, I mean, going to events, uh, meeting people, um, that's how you find deals and how you get new ideas to run your deals. So I just think that, um, that, that for me will be the best advice. Get out there, get, ne get networking, meet people that are out there doing it. I love that advice. I think for new people and experienced people alike, getting out there and meeting people who are successful Especially when you're new, you can learn how they're doing it. You can get inspired, learn what's out there, learn what's in your market. I think that's great advice. Larry, if folks want to learn more about what you're doing, investing in multifamily in Florida, where can they reach you? Uh, they can email me at Larry at broadviewcap.com, and that's B R O A D V I E W C A P.com. But they can also go to the website, uh, broadviewcap.com, and get more information. Cool. And presumably, if they want to know about importing flowers, you're also their man. Yep. <laughs> well, we nice. sell to wholesalers and retail and, and supermarkets. But, yeah, they can probably find us in any of those uh, places around the U.S. Sounds interesting enough to learn about. You know, it's a yeah. functioning business, so there's there's got to be a lot to learn there. Well, Larry, thank you for joining us today and sharing everything that you've learned or, or just a portion of what you've learned investing in real estate is what I should say. And uh, yeah, thank you for, for bringing that knowledge to us. Oh, thanks for having me. It was great. My pleasure. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating on iTunes. It would be a big help. If you know anybody that could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into our little tribe we're forming here. Once again, thank you for tuning in to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week, and we will talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.